Hey, y'all, I think we ought to just give a round of applause uh, to our Father God for being as awesome as He is. Let's let the Lord know that we appreciate His goodness. Come on now. That's weak. Okay. That's better. That's better. That's better. Hey, do y'all remember the dad who was looking out the window of his kitchen out in the backyard, and his little boy was getting ready uh, for little league practice, and he had his had his helmet on. He grabbed his bat, and, and uh, he had his little cleats on. He had had a few baseballs in his little bag, and he was getting ready for practice. And Dad just kind of watching him, and he, and he grabbed a ball out of the bag, and he kind of yelled out to an imaginary crowd that he thought was watching him, and he said before he grabbed the ball, he said. I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw it up and swung and missed, strike one. He picked the ball up and he yelled back at his adoring fans in his imaginary mind, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up and swung, strike two. He didn't give up. He did it a third time, announced to the neighborhood that he was the greatest hitter of all time, swung and strike three. He picked the ball up, dropped the bat, grabbed his his glove, and he threw the ball up and yelled, I am the greatest pitcher of all time. Man, we love the greatest, don't we? We have a fascination with the greatest of all time. And if we can't be the greatest, man, we want to experience the greatest. The greatest movie watch, the greatest singer at a concert, the greatest hamburger in town. And apparently, this group right here knows what the greatest pizza is in southern Indiana. Let's check it out. They're going to tell us. 60% of you said Pizza King, all right? Why is that? It's the train, dude. It's the train, isn't it? So over the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to find out why Jesus is the goat, the greatest of all time. Now, I want you to check this out. Maybe some of you don't know this. Some of you probably do, but this gets everybody on the same page here. You might need this in a trivia game someday. There are some familiar places and things about the Bible, some unique things that are in certain places. And the more you get to know the Bible, the more you know those things, and those become helpful to you as a child of God. For example, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the, anybody know? Love chapter. Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. Psalm 23 is known as the shepherd chapter. And so there's, there's all these different kind of nuances, these different places and things that are located in certain places in the Bible that's really good for anybody to know that as you get to know the Word of God. Now, one of those that I want to talk about today is in the book of John. There are 66 books in the Bible, and the second half of the Bible is known as the New Testament, and the very first four books in the New Testament are stories on the life of Jesus. They're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in the book of John, one of these nuances happens. And this might happen someday when you're in a trivia contest and you'll say, hey, I know the answer to that, because John is the only book 
in the whole Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that includes something called the seven I am statements of Jesus. At seven different times in the book of John, it's the only time that is ever included where Jesus describes himself in a very familiar term, I am. And so if anybody ever asks you about the famous I am statements of Jesus, you now know that they happen in the book of John. And what we're gonna do over the course of seven weeks is we're gonna dive in there and we're gonna find out a little bit about how Jesus defined who he was. He said, here's who I am. Now, I, I wanna make an interesting side note here. There is a debate, and this is kind of extra stuff for you today. There is a debate about whether the John who wrote the Gospel of John that we're looking at is the same John who wrote the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. And so we know John wrote both those books. Was it the same guy? And the reality is we just don't know. There's no way to be absolutely for sure about that, but it is interesting to me that the Gospel of John includes, don't lose me here, seven I am statements of Jesus, seven of them. Somebody yell out a number that is used a lot of times in the book of Revelation. What is it? Seven. So I don't know if there is substance in that. I don't know if that proves that the same guy wrote it, but it is interesting to me that the number seven is a big deal in the book of Revelation, and John wrote seven I am statements of Jesus. There might be a correlation there. Now, actually, the reason I mentioned that was so that I could announce we now have 20 lessons on the first half of the book of Revelation on our website and our app, and if you're looking for a great Bible study that you can do anytime you want to do, they are there, they're ready for you, and if you think that is a shameful plug, you are thinking correctly, okay? Now, let's go back to the I am statements of Jesus. So it's the only place in the Bible this happens, and seven different times Jesus says, this is who I am. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. And in every one of those seven statements, he uses a metaphor, a picture. And he said, think about that picture, and that's who I am. And the very first time that it ever comes up, again, is in the book of John. It happens in the sixth chapter of the book of John. That is important, John 6. And Jesus says this, I am bread. And so seven different metaphors are going to be used in that book, and it begins with this analogy of Jesus saying that he can be understood by the metaphor of bread. In fact, in the sixth chapter, he said that four different times. I want to show them to you real quick. The first time in verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He repeated again in the 41st verse and used a little bit different wording. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
And a few verses later, he reverted back to the simplicity of his metaphor, I am the bread of life. And then for a fourth time, he comes back and combines it all. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus, who are you? We're going to find out over the next several weeks that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And one of the reasons he's that is because he's bread. Now, what in the world does that mean? And more importantly, does it have anything to do with how I live my life and how you live your life today? Does this have any significance whatsoever? Well, in order to understand what Jesus meant by calling himself bread, it is important to look at the backstory. And so you're gonna follow along with me here. I'm gonna tell you a story that led up to John chapter six. And in order to go to the start of the story, we gotta go way, way, way back. We gotta go 1,300 years before John six. And what we find out in the 1300s BC is that the people of God, the Israelites, have escaped Egypt and they are heading toward the promised land. Now you and I know about that because we studied that, okay? A few weeks ago we studied out of Egypt and what all that meant. And so 1300 years ago, they've left Egypt, man, they are heading to the promised land and not long after they leave Egypt, they start whining. They start complaining, they start crying, they start uh, uh, nagging about how bad things were. Because back in Egypt, dude, we had some food, man. I know it was rough back there, but we had food. And now we're out here in the hot desert, and we don't have any food, we don't have any water. And they started complaining and nagging and griping. And do you know God does not like complainers? Do you know that? I don't think you know that. Don't look at your spouse, okay, look at me. God does not like that. And so God took all that he could take of that, and I don't know if you know what he did, but it was radical. He said to all of them, you are not going into the promised land. You cannot go into the promised land. No complainers in the promised land. And he said, I'm just gonna cause you to wander around the desert for 40 years, 40 years, and you're all gonna die out and a new generation's gonna come that knows you shouldn't complain and they're gonna come into the promised land. And so all that happened 1,300 years ago, but God wasn't so insensitive that he said, but I'm not gonna take care of you. You need food, so I'm gonna give you some food. And so the Old Testament tells us this. I think if you want to talk about miracles in the Bible, this is probably way, way up there. God began to rain down food to them every morning for 40 years. It was called manna from heaven. And the Israelites would wake up and there'd be manna all over the ground. And it was a bread-like substance that had a sweetness to it. And they ate manna every day for 40 years. That is such a big deal in Israelite history that they never forgot that. They never lost sight of the fact of what God did for them. In fact, 
Jewish history from that point on for years and years and decades and decades and decades in their worship services, they would have a part where they stopped and remembered that God gave them bread from heaven for 40 years. That was a big deal to them. Now, let's advance and let's go 1,300 years later. And now we've got Jesus on the scene. And Jesus is getting to the point where a lot of people are starting to come around him and his popularity is starting to rise dramatically. And one day the crowd around him was estimated at 5,000 men. Now let me tell you something about that. There's a couple ways to kind of interpret that. It might be that only men were there. That is highly unlikely. Probably what was happening is they just estimated the number of men in the crowd, and that was their way of saying, here's how big the crowd was. If that's the case, we probably have a number that would be double that or triple that or quadruple that. Either way, we've got a lot of people following Jesus 1,300 years later, and it gets in the evening, and Jesus calls his 12 disciples together and says, I'd like to feed these people. And they said, you'd like to what? I want to feed them. I mean, think about being in a large basketball arena and somebody say, I wonder if we can feed everybody here. And the disciples looked at Jesus and said, we don't even know what you're saying, man. We don't have that kind of food. We don't have that much money to go buy food like that. Even if we did have that money, we'd give the manager of McDonald's a heart attack. We need 15,000 number twos. We cannot do this. And Jesus said, well, we gotta do something. And Andrew shows up, one of the disciples, and he says, okay, I found this little guy here. He's got a little bit of loaves, he's got five loaves, he's got two little fish. That's all we got, Jesus. And Jesus says, perfect, perfect. And a little bit later, everybody had eaten to where they couldn't eat anymore, and there was enough food left over for breakfast tomorrow. Now that crowd right there, listen to me carefully, that crowd right there on the next day Dude, they are hunting for Jesus. And somewhere in the middle of the night, Jesus had crossed the lake. And so they jumped in boats. Can you imagine what that must have been like? All these people jumping in boats and they're hightailing across the lake. Jesus saved gas on the boat. He just kind of walked over that night. And they show up on the other side and they go up to Jesus. Now catch this. And they look at him and they say, you, Jesus, you must be the fulfillment of God to do for us what the Father God did for our ancestors 1,300 years ago. You must be the giver of bread to us. And Jesus looked at them and said, you are terribly mistaken. I'm not that kind of bread. When you eat my bread, you never get hungry again. And what Jesus was saying that day was that you are searching for bios, and all I have is zoe. 
Now, I probably need to say that again because that probably went over our heads. And Jesus said to this crowd who were remembering what happened 1,300 years ago and now knowing God's gonna do it again. He's gonna take care of us like that. And Jesus said, no, that's not the kind of bread we're talking about because you're looking for bios. All I got is zoe. All I got is zoe. Now, it's important to understand those terms because people in that day had different words that they would use to refer to life, to being alive, to living in the world. And one of those words was bios. And so when they talked about life in that day, they would use this term bios. And bios represented the physical things around us. It was the external things around us. They were things that were temporary. Bios represented all the stuff that we we have as substance of life. What we eat and where we live and what we wear and our health and our relationships and our work and our money. And they looked at Jesus and said, you're going to supply our bios. I want that to seep down into your gut. I want it to churn with you for a minute because I want to make a statement. I want you to hear this. Look at this. Most people chase after Jesus because of the bios they want him to give them. That I need things in this life. I need things for you to give me here. Have you ever recently prayed for a sickness that you have? Have you ever been sick and said, oh God, heal me? Has anybody you known ever went through a sickness and you just fell on your knees and God helped them to struggle through that? You were asking for bios. Anybody ever pray before you eat your meal? You should. And if you don't, you ought to start. In fact, I'm praying you don't pray, I hope you get sick what you eat. We have to pray for our meals. You know, you know what you're doing when you're doing it? You're saying, God, thank you for this bios. That's bios you're eating. Ever God, ask God to help you get a better job? Ever ask him to smooth out a wrinkled marriage? Bios. I recently paid a couple bills. It happened to me a couple weeks ago. I paid my bills and I looked at my account and everything. I had a little bit left over. And so it was, wow, I got some left over after I paid my bills. And I just stopped right then. God, thank you that I'm in a position in my life right now where, where there's a little bit left over after I've given the people that I owe money. And I just said, God, God thank you for the bios. Thank you for that. There are people right now, well-meaning Christians, this minute, who are praying in the depths of their soul that their team will score more points than the other team right now. That's bios, okay? That's bios. It's these external things around us that we need to make our life good and happy and joyful, and we chase after Jesus because we think he can give us bios. I I saw this post this week and I loved it, and if you're my age, you'll love it. Let's check this out. Y'all better enjoy your 20s, 30s, and 40s, because in your 50s, a checking engine light is gonna come on. <laughs> you, ever, you ever ask God to take care of your checking engine light, huh? That's the BIOS light. 
And that's where these people were. And they came to Jesus because they associated what Jesus did in the feeding of all these people to what God did back in the desert 1,300 years ago. And Jesus now, you can give us by us. And Jesus said, that ain't the kind of bread I got, dude. Because I got Zoe bread. Zoe is the other term that they would use for life in the New Testament. And Zoe dealt with the spiritual. It dealt with what was going on inside of you. It was eternal life that would never end. And it's interesting, I don't know if this has crazy significance, I found it interesting that bios, listen to you very carefully, is listed 15 times in the New Testament. Zoe is listed 149 times, tenfold. God is way more interested in your Zoe than he is in your bios. And so when you go back to chapter six, you find Jesus looking at these people who think Okay, now you can take care of all the stuff we have. And Jesus says, oh man, what I got is so much better. And he starts to define it. Look how he says in John chapter six, verse 35, go back to that. I am the bread of life. We already looked at that. Look what he said next. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That doesn't happen with bios. It happens with zoe. Notice what he said next. He said, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and never die. That's not bios, that's zoe. He brings the concept up a third time. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Bios will not keep you here forever. Zoe will. He then began to explain that by talking about his impending future death. That he would die on a cross to pay the penalty for everything that you've ever done. Did you hear that? Listen to this. Every wrong thing that you've ever done, he will die on a cross for. And he said, you will remember this by eating of my flesh. And he was referencing what we do with communion. That a few minutes ago, we opened that package up and we ate the bread of life. Because what he did on the cross is what really matters. What he did on the cross gives me life, not only life better on this earth, but life that will last eternal forever and ever and ever. Now if you stop right there and you now start to understand what is happening by him saying I'm the bread of life, he's trying to say that what I have for you what I can give you when you embrace me and follow me is more than you will ever get on this earth. That's why he's the goat. Nobody can do that for you like him. Now that you've got a general idea of what that means, 
I think there's a couple of takeaways that we can walk out of here on this day with from John 6, and we can say, you know what? By nature of Jesus being the bread, here's some things that I think I'm gonna do from this point on. And I just wanna throw two at you. One of these is gonna comfort you and encourage you, and one of these is probably gonna confront you to the core. Let me give you the takeaway that I think is an encouragement, and that is this. Constantly ask God to pour favor on your bias. I don't want you to get one inkling that what we're saying is that God thinks bias is evil. He doesn't. Over and over and over, Scripture clearly shows that God wants our lives on this earth to be the best lives that they can be. He wants your bios to be incredible and awesome. There are scriptures in the Bible that talk about praying for your health. And there's passages about God giving people riches. And there are places where God wants to make you happy and help you with that. And there's multiple texts that talk about good marriages and blessings on children. Learn to get in the habit, listen to me friends, of asking God to pour favor on the bios of my life, of all the external things around me, God, would you pour favor on that? Jesus said in John 10, 10, my favorite verse in all the Bible, I've come that you may have life, anybody remember the rest of it? And life to the full. And that obviously is referencing heaven someday, but I think it's talking about right here. That if you walk with Jesus on this earth, your life will be better than people who don't Walk with him. And so learn to pray, God, pour your favor. Pour it all on my bios. If you're employed somewhere, you probably got a thing or two not going the way that you want it to go or the way that it should be. Can somebody say amen about that, okay? You probably got something at your work, isn't going real well, that you'd like to see something different happen. Have you ever asked God to pour favor on that? Have you ever done that? Or you need to show up and gripe and complain. Do you pray for that? God, give my supervisor wisdom. God, send business to my company. God, help my coworkers get along. I want to encourage you to get in the habit of praying for the favor of God on your bios. If you have children in extracurricular activities, have you ever prayed? Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed for the favor of God to rest on the bios of your children? God, help her to build positive relationships in the different things she's involved in. Have you ever done that? Lord, please let him hit this free throw. Anybody ever done that? I've done it many times. I remember hearing God saying, you do know he ain't hit a free throw all year, don't you? Have you ever prayed for that? God, help that to happen. Pour that. Father God, balance her to land that jump or make that twirl. Jesus, please clear his mind so he'll remember that line in his play. When your child walks out of house for school in the morning, the best two minutes of your day is asking God to pour favor on their education, to pour favor on everything that happens to them that day. God, bless their bias. I remember reading an old Mark Batterson book one time. You wanna read a great Christian book, find anything Mark Batterson wrote. Mark Batterson said that he came across that verse 
in the, in the book of Luke that says that when Jesus was 12 years old, God put favor on him, and Batterson started praying, God, if you put favor on your son, that means you can put favor on my son. And he started praying for favor on his kids every day. You see, it is okay, it is healthy, it is good that you ask God to pour his favor on every single aspect of your bias. That's comfort, that encouragement, and I hope that you'll make a change with that as a result of being here today. But let me show you the second takeaway that will be a bit confronting. This is one of those things where it gets in our grill a little bit. I want you to check this one out. Never. The first one said constantly pray for the favor of God on your bias. Watch this. Never. Allow your longing for bios to distract you from chasing after Zoe. There's something better than your bios. And sometimes we get so caught up in the bias of our life and we think, okay, God, I want you to bless that in favor. And we work on that. We get so caught up in that that it distracts us from that which is better which is more a relationship with Jesus that can alter my life and bring me eternity someday. And I wanna encourage you to think about this. Are you so caught up in the bios that you are forgetting the Zoe? You remember that guy Jesus talked to us about one time? And he said, man, he was going 100 mile an hour and he was, he was accomplishing this and accomplishing that and his business was going out of the roof, man, and everything was just going fantastic and he didn't have any more barns to hold all the grain he was making. He goes, man, I'm gonna make some bigger barns. I'm just gonna keep on rocking the world out, man. Bios is gonna be off the charts. You remember what Jesus said to him? You fool. You fool, because your life is gonna be called on account tonight, and you're gonna stand before God, and the only thing you got to show him is a handful of bias, because you were so caught up in bias that you didn't chase after Zoe. Now let that get heavy with you. There are a million examples of that. And all you gotta do is start playing around in your own life and begin to ask yourself in total honesty, in my pursuit of God's favor on the bias of my life, have I neglected the more important Zoe? Be careful that your job and your retirement account and the size of your house doesn't put you in a position where you can't be generous to help to advance the cause of God's kingdom in an evil world because that means bias robbed you of Zoe. Be careful that your son or daughter doesn't excel in athletics and excel in education to heights that bring recognition and reward, but they wouldn't know a Sunday school class if it bit them in the nose because you never made that a priority. And your kids got out of your house knowing the value of bios, but you never told them about Zoe. 
Be careful that that would ever happen to you. Watch yourself if you ever arrive where your calendar is so full of good stuff and so full of busy stuff of bios here and bios there that when it's all over with, you're too tired to get up a little early in the morning or too tired to stay up a little bit at night to give 10 minutes to the word of God because bios distracted you from Zoe. And there are a thousand examples of that in our lives. Be careful that you're not asking Jesus to be a different bread than who he really is. My mother-in-law is probably the best cook I have ever known. One of the tragedies of Alzheimer's is she forgets that. And I will say things to her now, like Mimi, I love the banana cream pie you would make at Thanksgiving, and with confusion on her face, she would say, I, I did, and I'd say, oh yeah, you did, you sure did. One time she made some hamburgers, which to this day are the best burgers I've ever eaten anywhere. I loved Ruth's hamburgers that she would make. And I'd got word that they were making hamburgers, and I'm heading over there, and they didn't have any buns. No problem, I'll grab some buns. I go to the store, I get, you know, buns, okay, hamburger buns. I show up at the house, and, you know, there they are, hamburger buns, sunbeam, whatever. I, here you go. She said, what are those? I said, those are hamburger buns. It says right there. Hamburger buns. Those are hamburger buns. She said, my burgers don't go on buns like that. <laughs> then what are you talking about? And so she would go, and if you're watching online from Danville, Illinois, you know about Arnold's Bakery. You know. And that's where she got her hamburger buns. And when they showed up, they were big and plumpy and just out of the oven and roasted golden. And she would say, that's the buns that my burgers go on. Never settle for those things you bought. And I think that's what Jesus said in John 6. Lovers of Jesus. Are you a lover of Jesus? Do you chase after Jesus? Then this is what happens to you. Zoe always trumps bios. Always. Father, I come before you now and I thank you for what you promise us and offer us. It's not just a good life here as we walk with you, but it is so much more. And I want to be the voice of truth here as we, as we kind of close out what we've done in this room and we get ready to go out into the world right now. I want to be the voice of truth here. I want to be the humble voice of truth. So many times... We have been infatuated with the wrong bread. And I thank you that you are more. And there will be people in this room this weekend 
that a light bulb comes on and they'll realize why they're in this room this weekend because this was about their life. And I pray for life change. I pray for those of us who need to see you differently now. To see you as more. To the point that it will affect what we do with our time. It will affect what we do with our schedules. It will affect what we do with our families. It will affect what we do with our jobs. It will affect what we do with our money. So for those who have blindly got caught up in bios, help us, Lord, to see your bread. In the name of the bread of life, we pray. Amen.